Welcome back to the Black Girlish Podcast. This is your host, Tegan Lee. Um, This episode will be focusing on the trials and tribulations of my mental health journey. We did speak in my last episode about my childhood trauma and how that will always inevitably have an impact on my mental well-being throughout my life. Uh, I also wanted to pick up on some very pivotal moments in my life. Of course, naturally, some of this is really hard for me to talk about. Um, But to be real with you, especially the stuff around my daughter, as I have always stated, talking is cathartic and healing. And, you know, this is what I do best. So if you're ready, let's go. I do pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I am creating this content for you today on beautiful Darul country on the south coast of New South Wales. Okay babies, so we are going to take this back, way back, all the way to when I was 18 years old. It was my second round at Giving Uni ago. So initially uh, in 2014, I no, actually 2013, I tried to study a Bachelor of Nursing and <laughs> I think it was maybe the second semester in, I came to terms with that. Yep, me and blood and guts and like, you know, feces just did not go together. I was like, yeah, like I feel really compassionate and, you know, caring about those types of jobs. And I think they're really, really important, but it just wasn't for me. You know, shout out to all the sister girls who are nurses and midwives because you guys are the real mvps like seriously i don't know how you do it like i've had friends tell me stories about you know their nursing placements when we're at uni and such but that's for another yarn so yeah it was my second bout at uni and i was studying a bachelor of communication in social inquiry at uts of course and you know i was fucking terrified out of my mind like what business did I have as you know a black girl from Redfern at this big you know institution where all these people are doing university degrees like I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb and like on top of that as well like it was during the time when I when I had taken my father to court along with you know, the other women that were hurt by him. And I was so incredibly anxious and so petrified that he was even in the same state as me. I'm telling you, I would sleep like easily, I don't know, 14 hours through the night. And then I would somehow have like four hour naps during the day. Like, I don't know, like I'd never experienced depression at that time, but I was just super anxious and my cup had runneth over if you sort of get what I mean anyway so I made a plan that I would never really find a boyfriend partner per se when I was at university I was strictly there to just get this degree get into the workforce and like you know get that bag but life has different plans for us and you know I'm all about the universe she puts things in places for us you know that we can that we are capable of handling and you know um carrying and so anyways whatever I had met my ex-husband we were living in the same building um whilst living on campus and um we went from there like to be honest he was not my usual cup of tea he was so different to what I was used to like yeah sure 
I've got a type. I like guys with muscles, like footy players. I mean, if you look at, you know, the other guys that I dated then, like they were footy heads, they, you know, meat heads. They had like, you know, they're pretty swole and they were white. Yes. Um, but that comes back to my trauma. So I, that was something that really, really affected me as well. I was so terrified to be with a black man to be with an indigenous man because of what had happened to me and I understand like a lot of people would not understand that but physically intimately it was just so hard and I couldn't come to terms with it and of course like that went into my victim impact statement when I had to write one up for court um, and uh, among other things as well but that was the most pivotal thing for me and it still bugs me to this day it you know don't get me wrong I'm incredibly content and safe secure in my relationship but it just makes me sad because I can't feel safe around you know indigenous men and that's not their fault it's what has happened to me that still irks me and it makes me feel afraid even though I know that these guys are completely safe and okay but it's this is the thing about trauma it is just so complex and what it does to your mental health and you know to your body it's just it your body just becomes riddled with it and it's awful like no matter how many times you do your therapy no matter how many times you meditate and you know all we can do is to try to grasp onto this and have some sort of control um but it's still there in the background. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's lingering. And um, I guess all we can do is like keep it at bay and to manage these feelings and emotions properly. And um, I guess that's what sort of gets us through life in a way. But yeah, so sorry to go on a tangent there, but I felt like I needed to explain that because I am in no way, shape or form bashing down, you know, my black brothers, these sorts of things like, I am their number one supporters like oh my god I can't imagine how hard it is for you know our black men and boys to be out in these streets especially you know like the situation that's happening all over the world in America and here we have so many brothers and sisters that are dying in custody because of the color of our skin like it's just it's so messed up and it's just such a scary thing to know that our beautiful melanated skin is seen as some sort of threat to other people anyways okay so sorry my ex-husband like I said not my usual cup of tea uh very different but I also appreciated that about him and of course I am not about to bash him down he's a great father to our daughter but for now I'm gonna leave that at that so yes full stop I met him during a time when I was extremely anxious and lots of um stuff was happening for me huge court uh university there were a lot of feelings happening guys and i was a mess a hot damn mess and i really took solace in sleeping um as a coping strategy and you know eating i became very controlled around that and i was just throwing myself in the gym every freaking day lifting weights as well as volleyball anything to sort of distract my mind And during this time, of course, I was going to therapy 
at YouthBlock. I don't know if any of you know that service, but it is in Redfern. It is um, free for people, I think, aged 16 to 26, I think. Um, super confidential, great service. I had been using it since I was 18. I'm no longer there anymore because I can't access it. That will tell you about my age. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely love that service. It was such a life-saving uh, service for me as a young black woman going through what I was going through at the time. All right, so I wanna jump forward, what, two, three years. And when I became pregnant with uh, my daughter, my big gal. Um, so the birth story, I don't know if you know y'all are ready for that. That's a, that's a lot of jelly to handle at the moment. I'm also thinking that that in itself could be a podcast app. So I think keep your eyes peeled for that. The one thing that I do want to discuss about the birth of my daughter and the birth of me being a mother is, you know, the mental health journey, what had happened there. I became really, really sick with uh, postnatal depression. Um, and that was obviously a, um, a given in a way because of what had happened to me because of the trauma and the abuse that I experienced as a child. Um, but I also had like, you know, midwives in my ears telling me that I am susceptible to postnatal depression because of that. And at the time, like, you know, before they even told me that, I didn't even think that that was a thing that could happen for me. So in a way, I will say that I sort of felt like set up. But anyways, I, yeah, I think I noticed that I was depressed when my daughter was about four months old, but I didn't address it until she was about eight months. And I don't know if you've ever experienced depression, but it is like a void. You are honestly like you're feeling things, but you're not feeling things at the same time. And it's such a strange place to be in. Like you're you're drowning, but without being underwater. I know that sounds really weird, but it was like such a bizarre feeling and you're just flat, you're not motivated. It's so hard to engage. I became incredibly scared uh, for no apparent reason. Like I would be out walking in the street with my ex-husband and our daughter in the pram and I had my sunglasses on because I was like paranoid that people were looking at me and stuff and like I was aware that I had a problem here, guys. Um, you know, I had the, the, what is it, the postnatal nurses coming around to home and checking in on me and stuff. She encouraged me to go to the doctors, uh, encouraged me to go back to like, you know, therapy and all of this. And of course, like, you know, I was aware that it was taking a toll on my relationship with my ex and then with my daughter in a way. Like, it was so weird. But at the end of the day, I did get the help that I needed. I went to the doctor. I was like, I'm not sleeping, please. I need some help. Um, I think I'm actually really depressed. I was actually having quite suicidal uh, thoughts and everything. And I knew that that wasn't normal. Um, I'd never experienced that before. And I didn't want to feel like that. It's not like I chose to feel like that. And I think that's a common misconception that a lot of people have about people with depression or people who are suicidal that it's a choice that it's just it could be so easy for them to just snap out of it if they wanted to but no that's not the truth and you know I think it's really important to talk about 
especially like, you know, postnatal depression and in becoming a new mom, because these stories are fucking real and they're, they're so scary and you feel alone in them. But really so many people, you know, experience this. So many mums go through this and we want to normalize, you know, talking about this sort of um, like trauma in a way about giving birth and your mental health and because it's such a big change that your body and your mind goes through when having a baby and you know unfortunately for me you know I experienced it firsthand but I did get the help that I needed and I always reached out I went back to therapy I was on antidepressants I was sleeping again everything started to feel normal again like whatever normal is but I started to feel a lot calmer and the medication was doing its job, like balancing the chemicals in my brain. And yeah, I just found that it, it did work for me. And I'm, I'm glad that it did. And you know what, guys? To this day, I still actually take the same antidepressants that I started from, you know, when I had postnatal depression. And I'm not ashamed of that at all. You know, our mental health is our number one priority our health as people we should always invest in ourselves and never be ashamed of what we're doing to ensure that we are capable we are safe and we're feeling strong in ourselves and some people you know they say that that's not for them and that's okay too I mean you know before I even went on antidepressants I did try the whole changing my diet uh, working out more uh, like you know water intake meditating uh, trying to reconnect with people but it it was I don't know it just didn't work for me doing all of those things it didn't change you know how I was feeling so I knew that I had to go on medication and in saying all of this it was not easy when you're depressed it's a hell of a ride for everybody involved I mean and I appreciate what everybody has done for me at the end of the day when I was depressed with, you know, after having my daughter and stuff, but I've come around. I mean, I'm feeling pretty freaking good these days. It's, it's great. Do you get what I mean? So the journey for your mental health is hard. It is tedious. It seems like it is constantly repetitive when you are at therapy, you know, having, it's hard to find a good therapist, you know, having to uh, constantly retell your story until you find the right one that works for you medication like medication takes ages to kick in I think it's like anywhere from four to six weeks or four, six to eight weeks something like that um, and that it, that in itself that little period of time is scary too because it just sort of elevates all the feelings that you're already feeling like you know suicidal tendencies um, even more depressed lack of appetite um, you know even more appetite wanting to eat more and these sorts of things you know wanting to isolate yourself and hide away I mean it's not easy being human and I think we all need to be a little patient with one another and to be mindful that everybody's journey is different and that what has worked for me will not work for other people and I recognize that in saying that when I did become depressed uh, after giving birth to my daughter it was a small fragment of that in a way I mean I absolutely adored my baby you know I mean she's a big girl now but she is the apple of my eye 
guys. Like I cannot tell you, she is so smart, so freaking funny and such a cool little nugget. Like, oh my God, like my heart just bursts with so much pride when I think about her, when I look at her and I'm just so happy I get to call her mine. And sure, call me bias. I mean, I am her mama, but I mean, I think she's the coolest kid out. And <laughs> in a way, like, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I love my kids so much. And having gone through postnatal depression and coming out on the other side of it, I guess, like, fuck, I did that. I can overcome anything. And that actually brings me to my next sort of, you know, journey within this journey of my mental health. Um, it's when I actually moved to Norway. And this was, I think, mid-2018. My ex-partner and I, we had uh, made this this decision together. Of course, you know, we were a unit. We had our daughter. And I was like, sure, he, had gra- he got to graduate from uni. Um, I, of course, didn't go back to uni because of the, the depression that I was experiencing. It was just so hard for me to handle, um, I guess, another thing on my plate. Um, yeah, so he graduated and I was like, I know you really miss home, let's give it a go. And I was so open and excited to experience this. Of course I was. I mean, who the freak has an opportunity to live overseas? Like, come on. I know this sounds kind of silly, but here I was, this little black girl from the block in Redfern. I've grown up in, you know, fucking extenuating circumstances with very violent father um all this abuse and trauma and stuff and i never ever thought that even traveling overseas would be a thing that i would be able to do in this life and i know that sounds silly but it's like a lot of people do not recognize the privilege of doing that and i fucking got to do that and i had an opportunity to live overseas so okay i took it up during this time though I was still incredibly depressed um just really sad and I felt isolated and disconnected from a lot of people it's a strange thing like you you're here with people around you but you're so alone it it was just when I think back on it now it's sort of mind-boggling and it doesn't make a lot of sense but that's the brain the brain is so complex and yeah it's just I don't know I can't understand how that had happened to me in a way but it did so anyways we moved to Norway we got there 27 hours on a plane with a how old was she my daughter was I think two two and a half maybe uh 27 hours on a plane with her she was freaking awesome that kid is like the perfect travel buddy for a plane all she did was eat sleep go for a toilet and like go for a little walk and all of this so cool anyway so yeah um what it brought up for me living in this predominantly white foreign country was that like like you know what did it what did it mean i mean i didn't belong here i recognized that this wasn't my country this wasn't my land uh there weren't really people that i could connect with that looked like me And it was just sort of like a confusing time. I guess, like, obviously I questioned a lot about my identity and how I can keep my 
roots while living here learning you know my ex-husband's language I actually ended up learning the language in about five months and you know speaking Norwegian I got a freaking job as a receptionist uh like you know I really tried to make it freaking work and um I also got to meet up with a sister girl who's a Sami woman and they're the indigenous mob of Norway Finland I think a bit of Russia and Sweden so all above like you know this is in the north northern parts of the countries anyway so I got to meet up with her and I took my daughter and I was just like grateful to have that connection with someone who was indigenous while living on the other side of the world and you know the same thing had happened for the Sami mob like it has happened in many many countries that were colonized by other people and you know they took their babies away they put them into like you know schools similar to missions and like and reservations and these Sami kids weren't allowed to like speak their native language they were taken away from their families and stuff you know flogged beaten all of this to into like submission and speaking Norwegian and I noticed that there was also like a lot of shame from family members who wouldn't speak their their native you know Sami language and stuff this is what she had told me and I was sort of like flabbergasted you could say um because I was like shit she looked like very much a Norwegian person to me and I know that sounded shitty because yes we got a lot of you know brothers and sister girls within our black communities the same for like pacific islander communities you know newly settled uh, sudanese uh, middle eastern communities etc who are you know white passing who are fair-skinned um anyways but yeah so i was like shit this could even happen to people who even look like white mob and it sort of made me really furious because I was like what the heck am I even doing this is so upsetting and you know I went back home that day with my daughter uh, to my ex-husband and I was just so saddened that the history of Norway was exactly the history of my homeland like these mob come in and colonize these people and hurt them and took away their babies and I was just like fuck this is insane to me like why anyways yeah so there was a lot of stuff happening for me like you know I didn't even get to learn my own uh, in like my own mob's language and here I am learning my you know my ex-husband's language and I was like what the heck am I doing like this is so weird and I was living in this country and like of course I did it for my family I wanted to give my daughter everything that in a way my parents couldn't give me. I wanted her to have a safe home with both a mama and a papa who, you know, were kind to one another and worked hard together to, you know, give her the things that she deserved. And um, anyhow, a lot of it, you know, didn't end well, of course. I became incredibly depressed. I was homesick. I was so over having no representation in a country like Norway, uh, which is hilarious in a sense because, you know, where's the mob who look like me that are living in Norway? There was actually one brother boy. He lived about an hour and a half away from Oslo. And I tried to reach out, but he didn't get back to me. But whatever. 
that's okay. I mean, my marriage was at the end of the stick, I'm telling you. We tried couples therapy. I went to the doctors, tried to fix up my medication. The doctor actually had prescribed me a dose that was much lower than what you would normally give somebody with depression. Uh, He also did not, you know, he didn't sort of like ensure me that, you know, this medication will help me. He sort of said like, you know, I've never had to prescribe anybody this before. And I don't know if it was because of the language barrier or because he didn't really like see people who looked like me around the way in his neighborhood. He felt a bit awkward speaking English. I don't even know. But it just sort of like, I was like, what the heck? Like, why are you telling me this for? This gives me absolutely no confidence in you as my doctor right now. Like, come on, mate, do your bloody job. Give me medication to help me feel better, please. Because I'm feeling really, really scared. Couples therapy didn't go any good either. I was so fucking depressed. I was up in the middle of the night till like four o'clock in the morning. I was completely shut off from anybody. Like, it was so hard and... When I think back on it now, like, you guys, I felt like the fucking worst mum in the world. Like, my my poor little darling, I just felt like I had let her down so much. Like, I don't know, I would just gone inside myself. I felt like, you know, my ex-husband didn't support me. I, I, I had asked him, I was like, you need to take us back home, please. Like, I'm really struggling here in Norway. I need you to take me back home. Uh, like you promised you would and all of this and I don't know maybe it was irrational of me to ask such a thing like that because we had just spent all this money to move to Norway but at the same time I don't know I, I think I just expected him to choose me and I don't know if that's selfish or not but I, I think when you love somebody when you actually care for them that you would do anything for them um, not, you know not to see them waste away and it's just really upsetting that in a way I got left behind. I felt, I feel like that anyways. But um, my poor baby, I feel like she felt the brunt of it all. I mean, mama, myself, like me, I was waking up crying every day. I was in bed. I did not shower. Like personal hygiene was down the fucking toilet. I, you know, wouldn't eat. Um, I think when I came back home to Sydney... I was about, I don't know, 60 kilos. That's not normal for me, by the way. And you know what? I'll, I'll tell you. I, I actually, you know, tried to end my life on several occasions because I could not bear to feel like this anymore. I felt like my body just could not, you know, I honestly felt like my, my heart was going to give in. And I've never, ever once been ashamed of my mental health like yes I've struggled with depression and anxiety and PTSD for the majority of my life right now and I've always sought help I was never ever ever against getting help and you know of course there were lots and lots of cries for help but I just felt at the time that I was being ignored and um, well not ignored but unheard and not listened to and uh, left behind again there's that whole thing again like I just felt like I was left behind and that was it I was just a vessel meant to be there to sort of fill a space do you get what I mean um so yeah and my poor baby she started to you know notice like you know mama's in bed all the time like why is mommy crying and 
I honestly felt like the biggest asshole ever. The mum guilt was real. And, you know, so I had to come back home to do some healing. So I came back to Australia in 2020, in January, in time for Survival Day. I came, as soon as that plane landed and I walked out of the airport, it was so warm and I heard the kookaburras. I'm telling you guys, I just started crying. I was absolutely defeated. I was at my wits end and I was home. Like these mob must have known that I was here and they were making, you know, they were there calling out for me to like, you know, you're home now, you're right, you're safe. But the biggest thing that really upset me was that I could not bring my baby home either. And that played on my mind immensely and it still does today. And, you know, in hindsight, thinking about it now, I wish I had the fucking strength to just bring her home. And I had sister girls come over to visit me and they tried to help me and stuff, but I was just not strong mentally. I was literally a broken, shattered woman. And I'm not proud of that. You know, it's all a part of my journey, my mental health, my healing. It, it is what it is. And, you know, I am here today because of the choices that I have made. And I'm grateful for the lessons and everything that has happened because I have overcome all of this. And so, yeah, here I was at the airport and I'm there crying and I'm waiting to get picked up. And, oh, my God, like... I just, my whole body sort of relaxed, like my feet were on, you know, solid ground. I was here. I was like alive. And so, you know, two weeks into this like holiday. So I I initially came to stay for four weeks and then to go back to Norway and, you know, calling my daughter every day, letting her know what mama's getting up to, sending her pictures of everybody that I'm seeing. And, you know, I went down and I saw a little mob from my community and I'm like, how you been and all of this. And they're all asking me, oh, where's baby? Where is she? Like, what's happened? And I'm just telling them, I was like, oh, she's back in Norway with her dad. And like, it broke my heart every time someone would ask because she should have been here with me and two weeks into this trip I remember breaking down to my foster foster mothers and I said to them I was like I cannot go back to Norway uh like this was me crying out for help to them I said you know if I go back I will end up in the ground and I'm, I'm so sorry I know that is really really intense you guys but this is actually like I was in the deepest pit of my depression and I just uh, I didn't know any other way to ask for help but this is honestly how I had felt at that time I was so petrified to go back because I knew that there was no support for me there I mean I didn't even have any support in you know me being my daughter's mum I was you know everything I did was questioned and whatever like it's like I said this is this stuff is so incredibly hard to talk about but it's it makes a lot of sense to how I am the way that I am today and so yeah I decided to stay here in Sydney in Australia and it was the biggest sacrifice that I had ever ever made in my life today it meant leaving my big girl in Norway but it also meant that I could be around for the long run to watch her grow and to watch her you know 
do all these amazing things, graduate high school, watch her get married, I don't know, but a lot of people would not agree with my decisions and the choices that I've made. But ultimately, it means I get to be around for my, for my babies and, you know, watch them become these amazing adults. To be honest, I know this sounds really hard and I know a lot of you wouldn't understand, but I would do it over again because it means my kids get to fucking have me. And trust me, you, you mob, like so many, many tears and so much heartache has been shared on my behalf and my daughter's behalf and it doesn't get any easier i've been going through custody for her um i actually won jurisdiction here in australia because we are indigenous peoples but the norwegian court ultimately denied lending us jurisdiction um so i'm going through court in norway fighting for my baby to get a home i don't go back to court until october and that shit's fucking hard and um like I said, it's not going to get any easier, but I speak to her majority of the week and I get so excited. I sent, you know, I hate it because I'm the parcel parent, but you know, I'm trying to do my best at the moment at the capacity that I can and with what I've got. And I'm so fucking lucky too, because I have such an amazing supportive partner behind me, backing me all the goddamn time. I've got a great support network as well. Like sister girls my family my mom oh my god like I cannot tell you how empowered I am because of these people and and myself as well like I know that I left I understand that but I did it so I can be with her in the long run and I'm fighting the good fight I'm trying to get her home and yeah so that's that's all a part of my mental health journey it's always ongoing and I think with our mental health, that is it. It's so dynamic. It changes all the time. Some days we have good days. Some days we have bad days. And I think we just need to roll with the punches and cry when we have to. Something I do is um, I actually book myself in for a cry at least once a month. I mean, damn, being heavily pregnant right now, I am <laughs> crying and I'm a lot more emotional than what I would normally be. But, you know, I'm going with the flow. If you guys want to know more or what is happening with the court case with my daughter, feel free to DM me. Uh, I am a total open book. I think you've already gathered by now from the podcast um, that I'm extremely open. There is no shame here, guys. You know, remember this. Don't be shame, be game. Like, oh my God, I remember growing up and like shame being the one, number one word in everybody's mouth for like everything. You couldn't even get out on a dance floor. People would be like, no, that's shame. And I was like, what for? Who cares? Nobody's even bothering to look at you. Just get out there and enjoy yourself. Anyways, so yes, um, that's my story. And you are now all officially up to date with what's going on with Tegan Lee I know this podcast app has been a long one. It's been a hard one to listen to. Please do check out uh, the show notes. There will be some numbers in there that you can call if you're feeling, you know, upset, triggered, not okay. All right, because ultimately I want you guys to feel all right because these stories are hard to listen to, but they're also necessary in a way because it reminds people that they are not alone in whatever they're struggling with. 
So to finish off today, I just wanted to throw out a deadly little affirmation that I found in my hypnobirthing book. Yes, I've been reading up. Uh, that absolutely resonated with me and grounds me. And it is, I take control of what I can and let go of the rest. And this is just so important right now because we should be reminding ourselves of what we can do right now to be present right here and of the things that are out of our control that we can't do anything and that is okay as well. At the end of the day, I am so hoping I get to see my big girl real soon and had to have her in my arms. Oh my God, I miss that kid so freaking much. Um, yeah, for now, that's chapter two of my story so far. Like I said, you mob, it's been a hell of a ride to get to where I am today. It has required a lot of hard mental, emotional work and sacrifice. As always, I am grateful for the lessons that life throws at me and continues to throw at me. I am always learning and that's life. Such is life. Don't ever get that tattooed on you, by the way. Oh my God. Okay, so anyways, that concludes our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining me and next week, make sure to tune in for something new. Yes, I've got a sister girl joining me. Make sure to check out the Instagram to see who will be joining me next week on the podcast. All right, you mob, stay black, stay deadly and keep warm out here in this chilly weather. See ya.